Well, how we doing, family? <laughs> well, listen, it is so good to be with you this weekend, and whether you are joining us online, our family in Rock Island, uh, brothers in Kiwani, or the clearly caffeinated bunch here in Bettendorf, um, I am so grateful that you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin, and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at the Bettendorf campus, and I am excited and expectant as we step into the Word of God together uh, today. But I'll tell you, many of you know that I was slated to, to preach a couple weeks ago as well, and uh, unfortunately or fortunately for you, depending on how you think of this, um, my body and ultimately a surgeon decided that that wasn't going uh, to be the plan. But I did want to just take a moment to say thank you for even in that service two weeks ago for pausing uh, to take moments to pray for me, to pray for my bride, to pray for my kids. And, and I want you to know God has been so gracious uh, to answer your prayer. And, and, and with the exception of a couple hiccups in the days that followed surgery, my, my recovery has been incredibly smooth. And and I'm getting stronger every day. In fact, this weekend is, is literally the best I have felt since I had that surgery two weeks ago. And so, and I really believe that's a direct result of your willingness uh, to pray. So thank you for notes some of you sent via social media, email, uh, text, all kinds of stuff. Um, God is responding to your prayer. And I just simply want to say thank you. I can't say enough about Josh Howard. Pastor Josh Howard is a willingness and ability to step in last second. That is not an easy ordeal. Um, but I do want to make note uh, that when Josh knew I was preaching this week, he gathered his family and got as far away from the Quad Cities as possible um, <laughs> to make sure that I wouldn't be calling in the reliever. And I'll be honest with you, before we even get into scripture today, if there was a week that I would have loved to call in the reliever last second, like, oh, I'll have an emergency surgery— it's this week, right? Like this scripture that we're going to engage, and you'll understand that in a second. This was the week, all right? But as we, as we engage scripture together today, uh, we are going to continue uh, the series of conversations where we've been taking a look at sections of scripture in a specific teaching method that Jesus used called parables. Now, parables, as we've explored before, is just a, a simple story with a spiritual truth, it's a simple story with a spiritual truth. And if you look at scripture, specifically the teaching of Jesus, about one third of Jesus's teaching is done in the form of parables. And he was a master at, at taking everyday examples and things that you, people like you and I in his context would run into and interact with on a daily basis and using those and those stories to unpack incredibly impactful spiritual truth. And we've taken a look at a few of those over the last few weeks. And, and I trust, just like it has been for me, for you, this has been an impactful journey. I mean, some of these passages of Scripture, these parables have been, have been challenging. I mean, when you look at uh, the parable we looked at where Jesus literally calls us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to follow him. I mean, that's an incredibly challenging dynamic. But yet, one of the other parables was one, uh, the lost sheep or the lost coin. Is, it's this incredibly encouraging reality that, that our God is a God that says, listen, if I had 100 sheep and you were the one that wandered off, I would leave the 99 because I love you so much that I would pursue you. I mean, my goodness, I cherish that. And I know that that's an encouraging truth for all of us today. But as we jump into the parables today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you just right up front, the parable that we're going to look at together today is one that you read and you go, what in the world is this? All right. I mean, you've ever had moments where you, you open scripture or maybe you've heard a story and you're, you're reading along and you just stop and you go like, what? 
Like, Jesus, did you really just say that? Has anybody had that moment? You know, when you're like, what are you talking about? Like, this stuff is crazy, right? We've all been there. And I'll tell you today, the parable that we're going to engage is exactly one of those moments. You see, Jesus uses a lot of good examples and it unpacks truth in those. But today, Jesus is actually going to communicate. Listen, he's going to communicate a good truth from a bad example. He's going to communicate a good truth from a bad example. And so as we engage scripture together today, and we're going to get into Luke chapter 16, looking at the shrewd manager, the unjust steward, depending on what translation of the scripture you're reading. But on face value, it's an incredibly difficult story. But what I want you and I to do is even as we read this story today, I want you to look and process for that, that good truth, that spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to affirm in the midst of a really difficult story. So if you have your Bible or device, I encourage you to turn a click, click to Luke chapter 16. Or they'll be in your outline uh, or on the screen with me. We're going to eventually make it through verse 14, but we're going to kind of chunk that up. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And said, Jesus told his disciples, here comes, here comes the story, the story, the simple story with the spiritual truth. It says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So what we're reading here is that there's a rich man, a wealthy man. And in Jesus' context, many of those who were wealthy would hire stewards or they would hire managers to oversee their estate, to, to give direction to their servants, to, to, to invest their resources for greater gain. It's, it's not unlike uh, some of us maybe in the room and in one of our locations who, who have some sort of wealth and we, we engage a financial planner to help take what we have and to grow that, right? Or maybe you work in a context or you own a business where you've hired a manager or somebody has been empowered to provide leadership. And, and that's what's happening here in the context with this wealthy man hiring a manager. But what happens in this story is that this manager, at some point, somebody comes along, comes to the wealthy man and, and makes an accusation against him that he is wasting his possessions. Now, wasting, it could have been something as severe as embezzlement. It could have been he was damaging them. Or quite frankly, it could have been after years of fruitful productivity and great gains that, that this manager uh, started to kind of hit a rough patch and wasn't investing wisely. We don't know the context of it. All we know is that these accusations are brought against this manager. And the rich man says, hey, listen, you need to come give me an account of what you have done because here's the deal. I'm firing you, right? He's like, your, your time is up. He says, come give an account because your days are numbered. It continues on and it says this. It says, the manager said to himself, after he's being called in, what should I do now? My master is taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. And then he says, you know what? I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me in to their houses. You see, what we don't know about this is we don't know how old the manager is or whatnot, but what we do know is that managers in this context, they, it wasn't just a job. It wasn't just like this man was losing his job and his income. It was his entire livelihood. Managers would, would or stewards would live on site. So in, in a sense, he is getting ready within days to lose his job, to lose his home, to lose his, his source of food and shelter and well-being. This is a really huge, huge deal for him. Now, and he also goes on to say that he's not strong enough to dig. So we don't know, is he, is he older? 
all right? Is he older and he just doesn't have the strength that he once did, right? Or is it, is it something where he is not physically able to? Or quite frankly, is he just too lazy? We don't know. All we know is he's saying, listen, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm certainly too proud to beg. And so in that context, in a pretty difficult situation, he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to work with what I have so that I can take this plan so that when I am fired, when I am homeless, well then guess what? I'll have a place to go, people who will care for me and take me in. And here's his plan as he lives it out starting in the next passage. It says, so he called in each of his master's debtors. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? Now, let me pause here. If you're the manager, it's probably a good indicator that he's leading poorly, right? He doesn't know what somebody owes him. That's a different, that's an, a, just an aside thought. But he said, how much do you owe me? How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, so he said, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. 50% discount just right off the top. Then he calls in the second debtor, and he, and he says, how much do you owe my master? And the second debtor says, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. And so the manager told him, take your bell quickly and make it 800. You see what's happening here? It's that this manager comes up with this plan where he says, listen, I'll go to my master's debtors. We only hear of two of them. There's most likely many of them. And what I'll do is I will take their bill and I'll cut sections of their bill right off the top so that when I lose my job, when I lose my home, when I have nowhere to go, they will take me in because of what I've done for them. Now, I don't know about many of you, but I don't typically think in means of gallons of olive oil or bushels of wheat. Does anybody else? And so for me, I'm like, I, w I just want to understand what exactly just happened. You see, the first debtor, when he comes and, and the manager cuts out 450 gallons of olive oil, that is actually the equivalent of two months' wages, all right? So what I did is I went online, and I looked up the average salary in the state of Iowa. Illinois, don't judge me, all right? I'm preaching from Iowa. This is where I went to look for information, all right? So the average salary in the state of Iowa is $57,000, so when he called in this first debtor and he cuts off 450 gallons of olive oil off of his bill, he is essentially saying, I'm cutting $9,500 off of your bill, right? He calls in the second debtor and he goes and he says, listen, your, your bill was 1,000 bushels of wheat. I'm now going to make it 800. So that, that equivalent of 200 bushels of wheat that he cut off, listen to this, is the equivalent of two years of the average salary of a laborer. So for that second debtor, he literally cut off of his bill $114,000. So between these two debtors, he literally undercuts his master, undercuts the wealthy man over $123,000. Now, hopefully we can all agree that's not right. Can we agree on that today? Like, the thought that he would take these interactions with these debtors, too, we know there's many more, so we have no idea how much. The fact that he would take those interactions, reduce the debt, and then go back to his master and say, hey, this is what they owe. I mean, we can all agree that's just straight up messed up, right? 
I mean, this is not okay. In fact, like, this is a moment in the story when you're like, you know you're going to get caught, right? The, the, like, law and order and CSI is running through our mind, and we're like, the moment's coming. You're going to get caught. This is going to go down. It's like, dong, dong, dong. He's going to get, he's going to get caught. The, the man, master's going to call him in. He's going to grab him by the back of his neck, and he's going to throw him into prison. Like, this is the moment that's coming, and we're going to see it right here in verse 8. Check this out. Man, this is going to be so good. And it said, the master commended the dishonest manager. What? What? Now you know why I would have loved to call Josh Howard for the emergency surgery this week. (laughs) Hear me. This is crazy. I mean, literally, it sounds as if the manager or the master calls in the manager and even after the manager has, has stolen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars that the manager or the master kind of sits back and goes, well, that was clever. Yeah, I didn't think you had it in you. Well done, right? I mean, and, and not just the master, but by extension, remember, Jesus is the one who is telling this story. So it it sounds as if Jesus could be commending this dishonest behavior. I mean, what do we do with that, right? Is Jesus really commending this dishonest, like, conniving, undercutting behavior? I mean, of course, we know the answer is no, right? Let me be clear, all right? Don't walk out of here like, I learned the best thing at church today. That is not what happened, all right? The whole of scripture, Jesus talks about to his followers, you and me, who have made decisions to follow Jesus, that we're to live above reproach, that our yes would be yes and our no would be no. He, He values integrity, right? So clearly Jesus isn't commending this behavior, but he is trying to teach us a good truth from a really bad example. Let's look again at verse 8 and just see what is he commending. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Because he had acted shrewdly. He wasn't uh, shrewdly. He wasn't uh, commending the dishonest behavior. He wasn't commending stealing in a sense. What he was commending was that this manager acted shrewdly. Now, in our context, in our culture, um, to define somebody as shrewd isn't necessarily a positive quality, right? I mean, if, if you were to go home today and say, our Pastor Justin is shrewd, I'm sure that people would go like, that's kind of weird, right? But in Jesus' context, what he is saying is shrewd literally means wise or prudent. So when he's saying that he commended the man- manager for acting shrewdly, what is being commended by the master and ultimately Jesus is that he is making decisions that are wise, that are prudent. He is, he is making decisions today with, with what he has to, to help secure a future tomorrow that is secure. Do you hear that? What he is saying is, I'm commending this honest behavior You know, we can all agree as we think of the story of this manager, he's in a pretty difficult spot. He's soon to be homeless, without a job, and perhaps is physically unable to work. He's in a really difficult space. And so what Jesus is ultimately affirming and commending is that this man, in the midst of a difficult space, rather than throwing his hands up and saying, woe is me, I quit, I have nothing to offer, he's saying this man took what he had, And he was able to take what he had, the influence he had, and to manipulate those things shrewdly with prudence and wisdom to secure a future tomorrow. So he had a place to go, a place to live, perhaps even a job to engage. 
Now, we don't know what happens to this, this manager. I mean, he could have easily been thrown into prison. We don't know the rest of the story. Jesus leaves it there. But what we do know is that Jesus is commending this man's wisdom and prudence in making a decision today that will have a direct impact for his well-being tomorrow. And here's the truth for each of us today. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not in this space, the reality for us is that decisions made today always have a ripple for tomorrow. Decisions made today always have a ripple for tomorrow. Now, I know this is basic, okay? Like, for those of you who went on vacation and you ate way too much, you came home and the scale looked a little bit different, didn't it? I mean, you made decisions today that had a ripple for tomorrow. Or Amazon Prime Day, some of you were getting the emails all week, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then the day came and you just spent tons of money, and the next day you got up, you needed to put gas in the car and you didn't have money, right? Like, we know decisions made today have a ripple for tomorrow. Or some of you men in the room, you have a group of friends and you get together and they plop a bottle of hot sauce on the table with the skull and crossbones and they're like questioning your man card. Are you gonna are you gonna take some of this? Are you a real man? And you're like, don't just give me two drops, give me the whole, give me the whole spoonful. And you paid a price that day and for the days to come, right? Like you get this. The decisions made today ultimately have a ripple for tomorrow. And what Jesus is saying is that it's, it's about being shrewd and wise with our decisions today so that tomorrow is more secure. But hear me, it's not just that decisions made today have a ripple for tomorrow. It's that the decisions that we make today have a ripple for tomorrow, but also for eternity. In fact, that's what we're ultimately going to see as Jesus begins to unpack the good lesson from the bad example. And I am so grateful that he does this in scripture. We're going to begin to see that as we look at the second half of verse 8 into verse 9. That Jesus is saying to be shrewd and wise and prudent in your decisions today so it will have a ripple for eternity. Look at the second half of verse 8. It says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, this is Jesus saying, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, for the people of this world, the people of this world are, this is when Jesus begins to delineate from the people of this world and those who know him. All right, this is when there, there is this separation. But he was saying is the people of this world, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, those who don't trust Jesus, the people of this world know how to work the system to acquire wealth. They know how to work the stock market. They know how to, to work people and to use people and to influence people to acquire wealth, to acquire fame, to acquire platform, to acquire prestige. What he's saying is the people of the, this world know how to do this well. In fact, even more so than the people of the light. Now, the people of the light in Scripture are followers of Jesus. Ephesians 5.8 talks about you once were in darkness, but now you're in light. So now you're children of the light. Or John 12, Jesus says, you are children of the light. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a child of the light. Or by this example, people of the light. And what he is saying is the people of this world know how to work the system even more than the people of the light. Now hear me, what he's not saying is that as followers of Jesus, as people of the light, that we shouldn't or that we, we can't 
know how to work the system to acquire wealth. Hear my heart. Like, as a church, we have some of the most talented uh, financial planners in all of the Quad Cities. We have some of the most well-known and renowned real estate developers in all of our cities. We have some of the best vice presidents and CEOs and executive coaches and, and, and mentors and, and business leaders in the entire Quad Cities that come to Heritage that love Jesus and they're passionate about him. This is not, Jesus isn't saying, hey, listen, you don't know how to work the system or you shouldn't know how to work the system. What Jesus is saying to those of us who are followers of Jesus and children of the light, he is saying, listen, as followers of mine, it's, it's, you know how to work the system, but he's saying make decisions today that will have a ripple, not just for tomorrow, not just in this life, which is what people of this world have hope for. He's saying make decisions today that will have ripple for eternity. See, that's what he's saying here in verse 9 when he says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. Use what God's given you. It could be financially. It could be a giftedness, a passion, something that God has uniquely wired you for. And he's saying, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that, listen to this, when it is gone, when it is gone, hear me today, it will be gone someday. It could be somebody undercuts you or the stock market crashes, which I hope doesn't happen, Right? But your wealth can be gone or your life can be gone in an instant. And what he's saying is when it is gone that you'll be welcomed into eternal blessings. What Jesus is saying in a sense is he's saying, listen, use what I've given you now to influence people, to pour into the lives of people so that the impact that you have on them, whether it's meeting a need or whether it's, it's engaging them or, or coaching them so they can live into whatever, that in, as you are generous in that, that people will encounter me and ultimately, when that day comes and, and you step into eternity, you take your last breath here, that there will be people that you have impacted, listen to this, that will welcome you in to eternity. An example of this is just a couple weeks ago. Many of you know that we hosted Spring Hill Camp as a, as a church right here at the Bettendorf campus. And we had 119 kids just run around like crazy town around here, all right? Like the energy they have just blows me away. I just want like a drop of it. You guys know what I mean? Like just give me a little bit of that energy. But 119 kids, it was amazing. But what you don't know is that of those 119 kids, we have a, a number of families in our church and in our cities that just couldn't financially afford sending their kid to camp. And one of our commitments as a church is saying, listen, we never want finances to be a barrier for anyone. And so we have a group of people, incredibly generous, that said, listen, we want to we stand in the gap. And so they gave financially out of just generous hearts to create this scholarship fund. So of those 119 kids, 24 of those kids uh, were able to engage a scholarship of some kind. It could have been $20. It could have been $100. I mean, different amounts. But 24 kids were able to engage a scholarship fund, which, by the way, is awesome. Awesome. It is incredible. But here's, here's where I get really excited, and here's what I want you to hear. Of those 119 kids, 17 kids made decisions to follow Jesus. 17 kids. And not just 17 kids. There was another 30-plus who said, I, they're hearing about Jesus, and they want to have more conversations of what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to place my faith and my trust in him? So hear me. This group of people, these men and women who gave faithfully and generously to this scholarship fund, as well as many of you who consistently tithe and give to have lights on and, and air conditioning, praise God for air conditioning. And like, the reality is, hear me, when we take our last breath, or you take your last breath, or this group of people that were generous take their last breath and they step into heaven, 
there's going to be 17 children there welcoming them in to eternal dwellings. You hear that? You know, another example is we started a new midweek programming here at the Bettendorf campus last year, and we're actually expanding that across our network as we step into the fall. But a part of this is we're still engaging scripture, active learning as they're engaging scripture, small groups, memorizing scripture. But we also added an element where we have a number of different electives, things like dance or art or poetry. And so kids can actually learn a tangible skill. Well, this last fall, one of our electives was woodworking. We have a, a gentleman in our church who's an incredible woodworker, and his name's John. And John was willing to come and to take the gifts and the wirings that he already has and use it and say, listen, I will facilitate the, this woodworking environment. What John didn't know is that one of our children in our church had invited his friend from down the road. His name was Kyle. Kyle was six years old. Not necessarily to come to church, but he said, dude, we're going to get to do some woodworking. We're going to learn some stuff. So Kyle comes to church to engage and learn woodworking. But here's what happens. He comes for the woodworking. He learns a skill. But while he's here, he learns about Jesus. And he begins and he places his faith and his trust in Jesus because of woodworking. Now, here's, my, here's what I want you to hear. John, someday will take his last breath. And when he is standing in heaven, someday a, a little boy named Kyle is going to be there to welcome him in to his eternal dwellings. Do you see what I mean when Jesus is saying, be shrewd and prudent in how you use your worldly wealth or what giftedness God has given you. Use it in a way today, wise and prudently, so that it'll have ripple for eternity. I mean, look back at verse 9 when, when it says here, when it is gone. The reality is it's going to be gone for all of us. Our life is going to end. I know it's not an incredibly uplifting experience right now, but like that's the hope of Jesus. But this terminology, when it is gone, in other translations of your scripture actually says when it fails. And that's actually a direct uh, engagement with a different passage of scripture that Jesus is teaching his disciples in Luke chapter 12. And I want you to hear when it fails and how it moves to something different. When Jesus is saying, invest who you are, your worldly wealth, make decisions today. They'll have a ripple for eternity. Check out Luke 12. It says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that, listen, read this with me, that will never fail. That will never fail where the thief, no thief comes near and no moth destroys. What he is saying is invest today, make decisions today that will have a ripple for eternity. Use what you have today that will, so it will have a ripple for eternity when it is gone. You know, this week I was listening to a, a former pastor, leadership guru, teacher, author, John Maxwell. Many of you have heard of John Maxwell, right? And John Maxwell in this, this conversation, he's, by the way, the host of Live to Lead that we, that we host every October. That's going to come up. But he, in this com conversation, he was saying um, that, that we ultimately have two options. And he's talking in the context of leadership and wisdom, but also wealth and what we've acquired. He's saying you, we ultimately have two options. We can be a reservoir. We can be a reservoir that just takes it all in and we just accumulate it for ourselves and we just take it in and we hold it near. We can be a reservoir or he says, or we can be a river. A river. In other words, that we can take what we've acquired, whether it's wisdom, insight, knowledge, wealth, whatever it is, and we can use that to flow into the lives of other people. 
And essentially, that's what Jesus is affirming here. He's saying, listen, take what I've given you, take what I've entrusted you, and use it to flow into the lives of people so that it'll have a ripple for eternity. Look at this picture of this happening in Matthew 25. This is what it says. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, listen, this is so good. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he goes on to say, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. What Jesus is saying is, he's saying, listen, come, take in all that God has for you, the inheritance, the kingdom that's been prepared for you. And he goes on to cite examples of how men and women had been a river flowing, making decisions today to flow into the lives of other people so it would have a ripple for eternity. Our decisions today have a ripple for tomorrow and ultimately for eternity. Let's go back to Luke chapter 16 where Jesus continues to unpack the the good truth from the bad example. He says this in verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? What Jesus is saying this in verse 10 is the very little. He says, you who can be entrusted with very little, I mean, that's what he's talking about is worldly wealth. It doesn't matter how much you have or, or what you have. He's saying that's very little. He's saying if you can be entrusted with very little, then you can be entrusted with much, the glorious riches of our God. And what Jesus is saying here to you and to me is this is simple truth that faithfulness with what we have now Faithfulness with what we have now, the, the worldly wealth, the influence, what God has given us influences what we can be entrusted with next. Faithfulness in what we have now influences what we can be entrusted with next. Now here's something I want you to make sure you catch. It doesn't matter what or how much we have now. It doesn't matter how much wealth or how much money or how many gifts or how many passions or or what platform we have. That is completely irrelevant. What Jesus is saying is what matters is faithfulness with what you have now. I mean, many of us are like desperate for a promotion. You know, like we just want to promote. I want that next job. I want to work my way up the ladder, but we're not being faithful in the role that we have today. And it's like, well, who in their right mind would promote us if we're not being faithful today? Or, or for others of us, it's like, if I just had more money, then I would do this. It's almost like that. If I had blank, then I would do blank, right? If I had more money, then I would be generous. Or if I had that promotion, then I would have good work ethic and work with integrity. And what Jesus is saying is what matters isn't what you have now. It matters whether you're faithful or not. It's about faithfulness. He's saying, if you're faithful with what you have now, then I can entrust more to you in the next. And hear me today, Jesus has more for all of us. More than we can even imagine. I mean, this isn't a prosperity gospel moment, all right? We'll get to that real quickly here in a second, right? But it's, it's what he's saying is scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. I mean, Jesus has so much for us. But he's saying, but you have to be faithful now with what I've given you. You see, decisions that we make today have ripple for tomorrow and for eternity. And one of those decisions is to be faithful now so that we can be entrusted with more next. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he is so 
he's so pointed in some of the things that he says. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to miss what's important. And Jesus, as he steps into verse 13, actually engages one of the, the hardest decisions that you and I in this world have to engage. But he does this because he wants us to know what it means to live wisely and shrewdly and prudent today so that there'll be a ripple for eternity. Look at what he says about this decision in verse 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know about any of you have ever been in a working context where you have two supervisors. It can be incredibly difficult, can't it? When you have two supervisors and one supervisor's telling you to turn left and the other one's telling you to turn right, you got a decision to make, right? And that's ultimately what Jesus is saying is like you can't serve two masters well. At some point you're going to have to choose, especially if they're just opposed to one another. And he goes on to talk about that that the two that he wanted, he wanted to point out for you and I as people of the light that are living in the context of this world, he's saying, listen, God and money are diametrically opposed to each other. And ultimately what he's saying to us is that what we choose to pursue reveals what we love. What we choose to pursue reveals what we love. And the reason why Jesus points out money specifically, and it's not just money, the word there is mammon, it's, it's much more expansive, it's wealth, it's, it's all of that. What he is saying is money or wealth has this way of where it can quickly work its way in and ultimately push God out of the way and become our God, sometimes knowingly or unknowingly. It's like that money has this way of, of working into our life and, and becoming our master. And you may be in a place today, and I know I've, I, as I've done the introspective work on me, asking the question like, is money my master? Is money my God? And, and what I would tell you is to ask or answer a couple questions. One question would be like, when it comes to money, do you worry about money all the time? Or maybe the, the things that you want to do or that you, that you should do, are you, are you choosing not to do those things so that you can acquire more money? Maybe it's be a dad or a mom or be with your kids or spend time with loved ones or serve others. And you're like, I can't do those things well because I need to make more money. Or maybe just ask yourself, how much time do you just spend caring for your possessions? Or, or let me answer this. Does it make you uncomfortable with the thought of giving money away? I mean, all those can be indicators. They're not direct proof, but can be indicators that maybe money isn't playing the role in your life that Jesus desires for you. You see, 1 Timothy 6 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's the deal. Money in itself is not evil. It's not at all. In fact, we've talked before as a church, God doesn't care if we have stuff. He cares if stuff has us. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, decide today Decide today, live wisely, shrewdly, as it relates to money. Decide to pursue God, not money, and live in light of eternity. Use your worldly wealth to flow into the lives of people for eternity. You know, I love, I say I love, you'll understand in a minute, how this passage of scripture ends in verse 14. It's, it's literally the Pharisees. Jesus had been teaching his disciples, and the Pharisees who are on the outskirts kind of listening in uh, begin to, to chirp. And here's what they say in verse 14. It said the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers, right? The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. 
in a sense, they just loved this message, right? And here's why I share this with you. I could have just left that off and moved on. But I share this with you because I know as we engage a topic like this, even the bad story, but that good truth is a hard truth for some of us. I realize for some of us it makes us uncomfortable. Certainly it did the Pharisees. And here's my ask of you. Is this week to just take time to sit with Holy Spirit and say, why does this make me uncomfortable? Why is this, why does this make me angry? Or like, what is it, Lord, that, that you want to use this, un, this, this frustration, this uncomfortability in me to reveal in my life? And I promise you, when you do that, Holy Spirit will speak to you and he'll lead you to a place to say, listen, I have more for you. And he'll reveal what it is where he's asking and leading you into a better tomorrow. See, our decisions today have a ripple for tomorrow and for eternity. Faithfulness now influences what we can be entrusted with next. And what we pursue reveals what we love. So what? So what do we mean? What does this mean for me today? And by way of a quick so what moment, I want to share a quote with you. It's, in, uh, it's by a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary who was taking the gospel to unreached people groups and who ultimately gave his life, was killed in doing so. And this is what he says. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so as a so what point today, use what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Use what you cannot keep. It doesn't matter if it's wealth or money or giftedness or influence. Use what you can't keep because when the day comes and we give our life and we stand before Jesus, none of that's coming with us. So use what we cannot keep in, to gain what we cannot lose. You see on your outline, there's a number of blank lines. And I encourage you in a moment, as we step into a moment of reflection, to just ask Holy Spirit, how, how do you want me to respond today? How do you want me to respond? And take a moment and just fill those lines out. And you know, if decisions made today, always have a ripple for tomorrow. Holy Spirit, what is the decision you're wanting me to make today? For some of us, you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, and that's the decision you need to make today so that you can have the hope of eternal dwellings. And if that's you, go to the back of your teaching outline. There's a few steps in a sample prayer. Make this time of response, you making that decision. For others, you're saying, you know, for faithfulness now it influences what I can be entrusted with next. And, and maybe Holy Spirit wants to, to identify an area in your life where maybe you've been looking more at the next and not being faithful now. And he wants to lead you to use what you have, use what he's entrusted you to ultimately have a ripple, to be faithful today. Or maybe you're in a place where Holy Spirit just wants to reveal in you that you're pursuing something else other than him. And this is a day where Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I want you to reorient your focus and your pursuits on me. I don't know what it is, but I encourage you, those three lines, just take a moment, just say, Holy Spirit, how are you asking me to respond? You know, in a moment, I'm going to give us a chance to reflect. And as we do that, we're actually going to do that by stepping into communion together. You see, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he is our example, isn't he? Jesus never asked anything of you or me that he hasn't already done before us and for us. I mean, think about Jesus, some of the decisions that he made in the course of his lifetime. When Jesus literally made the decision to step out of heaven and come to earth. Why? So that he could flow into us so that we could have the hope of eternity. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane after living 30 years or 33 years of, of holy, faithful, pure, spotless life. He's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that the cross is near and he's saying, God, if there's any other way this can happen, please let it be. But then he says, 
not my will, but yours be done. He said, I'm making a decision today that will have a ripple for eternity, not just for Jesus, but for all of us who do profess to be followers of Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus makes the decision on the cross to give his life for you and for me. He makes the decision to bear our sin, to bear our shame, and die on that cross, a murderous, torturous, humiliating death, so that we could have life. So as we step into a moment of reflection, we're going to take communion together. And communion is simply a moment where we stop and we remember the moment that when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, is sitting with his disciples in the Last Supper, and he, and he takes the bread, and he looks at his disciples, and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body that I am choosing to let be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then after dinner, he takes the cup, he lifts it to heaven, and he blesses it, and he says to his disciples, this is my blood that I am choosing today to shed for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to give my body and my blood. I'm choosing to do that for you. So in a moment, as we reflect and remember and ask Holy Spirit, how is he, what decisions is he asking us to make? Let's remember the decision that Jesus set and made for us, the example that he went before us to provide. In a moment, our ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass plates down each of our aisles. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus, we, we practice what's called open communion, where if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to take two cups. They're double stacked, so just grab one. Make sure you grab two cups and to take and hold them in your hands. One will have the juice, one will have the bread. And I just encourage you, while you're sitting there processing and praying and asking Holy Spirit how he's asking you to respond, to look at those cups and say, how much must Jesus love me and care for me to make the decision willingly to give his body and his blood for me. And then whenever you're ready, I'm going to encourage you right where you're at to take the elements on your own and to make this a moment of decision for you. If you need a gluten-free option, those options are in the back of our worship centers. But don't miss this moment. Ask Holy Spirit how he's asking you to respond. And make the decision today so that tomorrow and eternity can be different. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the example that your son Jesus set for us. God, I'm grateful that he chose to step out of heaven. He chose to endure our, our sin and our shame. He chose to let his body be broken for us. And Lord, I pray today as we sit in this moment of reflection and communion, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this space. Holy Spirit, give us great clarity on what you're asking of us. The areas where you're asking us to make decisions, to surrender our lives and our wills. God, may we be a people who, as followers of Jesus, as people of the light, who use our worldly wealth and influence and giftedness to make friends so that we can be welcomed into eternal and dwellings. What a picture, Lord. And I pray that today would be the day of decision for us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.